You're listening to a podcast from St. Barts. To find out more about our church or to take a next step, visit stbarts.com.au. And let's pray. Gracious Father, would you please help us to truly understand this very first Christmas? Please help us understand in order that we can truly rejoice in the good news of Jesus, of your coming to earth, of Jesus being fully human and fully God, of God and sinners reconciled forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've heard it, we've sung it, we see it all around us. The story of Jesus' birth, especially that which we heard just read now in Luke chapter 2, has to be amongst the most favourite and familiar parts of the Bible. A husband and expecting wife make the trek to some backwater town to fulfil their civic duty. There's no guest room available. There's no Airbnb to search, and so they take up lodging amidst all the animals. When the baby is born, there's no designer crib, just a repurposed food trough. Shepherds are dispatched from the countryside. Mysterious magi, wise men, they arrive from the east. Angels make plenty of cameos as well, from the news of the pregnancy, uh, eclipsing any uh, gender reveal, no matter how ingenious it might be, uh, right through the splendiferous chorus rejoicing in the news of Jesus' birth. I mean, I know there are some quirky bits, but how lovely is this? One of our family traditions in our household every Christmas is to together set up the nativity set. But being 2023, I thought, you know, I really should consult ChatGPT on this just to see if I'm missing anything. So I asked ChatGPT, what are the essential elements of a nativity scene? And this is what it said. Baby Jesus. So it's off to a good start, really. Baby Jesus. But listen to the description. A delicate figure nestled in a rustic manger swaddled in cloth. Mary, so serene, draped in soft blue, her eyes filled with tenderness, gazing at the newborn. Joseph, standing beside Mary with an expression of quiet strength and protective care. I'd like to think that's how I was standing when our three children were born. But my favourite part, and a manger. Golden light emanates from within, hewn from weathered wood, lined with fragrant hay. (laughs) Lined with fragrant hay. I'm sure it was fragrant, but not really the image that's being portrayed here. I mean, it sounds so neat and contained, sanitised, surreal, sentimental. But there is nothing neat and contained about Jesus' birth. Jesus' birth is not some mere cutesy retelling of some rustic, off-grid birth. But it is a jarring and explosive event that has changed the course of history as the God of the universe has plunged himself right into the thick of our world. We've got to look beyond the surface. But behind the census is a dark world with a murderous king. Behind the manger is a claim that this child is God himself and the very hope of the world. Behind the angels is the proclamation that this is good news for all. This is good news that we can get a grip of. Actually, this is good news 
that can take a grip of us. So this morning, this Christmas, as we celebrate Christmas, let's lift the curtain a little on the Christmas story. For behind the census, the manger and the angels, we see that God comes into our world in human form, inviting us to rejoice. So that first part, God comes into our world. That's the situation. So let me read again from verse 1 of chapter 2 of Luke, that earliest account of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Crinius was governor of Syria. Everyone went to their own town to register. So a decree is issued, a census is called, they make the journey, but the inn is full. But this isn't just because Taylor Swift is in town, okay, and you can't get any sort of holiday booking. The entire context is one of oppression and control. God's people have lived under one coercive authority after the other, century after century. The management may change from time to time, but the situation remains the same. In so many ways, they are slaves and exiles in their own land. And so when a census is called, there's no exemption that you can apply for. They can't just write to Caesar and say, could we skip this one? Would you mind? Mary's pregnant and the birth is imminent. Remember, this is the same type of power that when it hears of the arrival of a potential king, Herod dispatches the Magi under the guise of wanting to welcome and worship the child. But in reality, it is just a dark ploy that he can then have the baby, this potential threat, eradicated. Behind the quaint and sometimes quirky birth story amongst the animals, we see that this is a story of the ultimate king being plunged into the ultimate mess, where evil isn't just out there, but it's knocking on the door. See, Luke wants us to understand that not only is that the reality into which Jesus was born, but in a much bigger way, it's symptomatic of a world that is plagued by evil and sin. C.S. Lewis, in the Chronicles of Narnia, imagines and, and pictures this as like a world that is under a curse, a world that has experienced a perpetual winter in which Christmas never arrives, no, long, no matter how much you long for it. It's a picture of a world devoid of hope and joy. Always winter, never Christmas. God's people had longed and hoped for a time when that reality would be overturned. They longed, hoped, and had been promised of one, a king in the line of David who would usher in a whole new age. When Luke repeats the reprise of the angel that today in the town of David a saviour has been born, we're being reminded that there's not only a backstory to this story, but that this event is the very fulfilment of the hope that they have held dear. God has plunged himself right into the thick of it. We see that time and time again throughout Jesus' life. Jesus so often, continuously, almost went to the edges and the margins, right into the thick of human life and pain. To the outcast, the lost, the lonely, the last, 
those who needed healing, those who needed feeding, those who needed forgiveness. God comes into our world. God comes to us all in our need. Second, God comes in human form. It's the most surprising uh, revelation. Verse 6, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So I want you to note that despite the extraordinary claims about how this child was conceived, the child was from God, the extraordinary claims about the circumstances leading up to and surrounding his birth, the extraordinary claims about who this child was, his long-awaited Messiah, God's own son. I want you to note that the way he was born is otherwise ordinary. Uh, Not only humble, lowly and poor, but this is ordinariness. Jesus, particular circumstances aside, was born in the same way billions of others are born. You might think, well, what's the big deal about that? I'll tell you the big deal. There's every indicator right from his birth that Jesus was fully human. I mean, not just here, we see it all throughout his life, but especially here. That was extraordinarily surprising. In our modern way of thinking, we tend to have no problem thinking that Jesus was human. We think that's fine. And we find it far more difficult to recognise him as divine, as God. But in the ancient world, it was the opposite. In their thinking, they would much more readily accept that Jesus was divine, some sort of God, but found it much more difficult to believe that he also could be human. Those two didn't seem to go together for them. But if Luke was making this up, it would have been far easier for him to claim that Jesus was divine, but just looked sort of human. But that's not what Luke says. Because he's reporting the staggering and surprising truth that Jesus was and is fully human and is fully God. Paul, very early Christian, as he wrote to one of the early Christian communities, to the Philippians, put it like this. Jesus, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. When Paul says here, in the very nature of God in human form, he doesn't mean kind of like God or kind of like human, but that Jesus was fully God and fully human. It means that God has come to us. You don't need to go searching. He has sought us out. It means that God knows what it is to be human. He can sympathize with you in every way. It means that God loves the physical world. He didn't shun matter, but was clothed in flesh. It means that God knows obedience. He lived the perfect life. For us. It means that God could die in order to bring us peace. And that's precisely what he did. When the angels announced in verse 10, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. 
Today in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. And they continue in verse 14, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. The type of peace that this Messiah, this King, who is God, brings, is not primarily international peace, even though Christians are to be peacemakers. It's not primarily inner peace, even though Jesus brings a peace that surpasses all understanding. But the language right here of peace is one of reconciliation between us and God. You might think, well, what do you mean, peace between me and God? I don't have any hostility towards God. But the Bible tells us that the default posture of humanity towards God is one in which it's fractured that we don't want God to be God. We want to do it our own way. And it's because of that, because of our sin, that our relationship with him is broken. But the good news of Christmas is that God wasn't satisfied with leaving things like that. God couldn't just ignore our hostility, our sin, for he is perfectly just, but he also didn't want to ignore us. He wanted to pave a way for us to be reconciled to him. The good news that we declare at Christmas and the good news that we can know forever is what we sing in that great carol which we opened the service by Wesley. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. In our culture, when something goes wrong and we want to rightly pursue justice, our cultural tendency nowadays is often just want to cancel someone. We want to boycott, shame, punish or withdraw support or something like that. But what we see in Jesus Christ, the child born into the height of danger and the mess of our world, is that he looks at us, he sees our sin and our brokenness fully unveiled, And instead of cancelling us in the pursuit of justice, he lives the perfect life that we cannot, and he takes the weight of our sin and punishment, and in doing so, extends his hand and offers us forgiveness. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. The one on whom my favour, my peace rests, is simply the one who sees Jesus for who he is and trusts in what he has done. God comes inviting us to rejoice in him. So the shepherds hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. One of my absolute favourite parts of Luke's account of Jesus' birth is that immediately after the shepherds witness the baby, after they see Jesus, they dispatch and they spread the word of this glorious news. Uh, People are amazed, of course, as they hear this news, but don't miss the point. They don't hurry off just to sort of bring everyone up to date. They go to announce the news as an invitation to rejoice in Jesus. It's not just news for some, it is news for everyone. 
Jesus is for the really low in status, like the shepherds were in those days. But Jesus is also for the, the intellectual elite, like the magi who come bearing gifts. He went to the poor and the rich, the young and the old, the ruling class and the social outcasts. But he also comes to us. And so what do you make of him? Don't be satisfied with just looking at the surface of the Christmas story. See what's really happening, because it is astonishing. You don't need to go searching, but God has come to us. You don't need to be afraid, for he's brought peace even through his own death. And you don't need to despair, because he will return. As Tom Wright puts it, if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be human, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what grief is, look at Jesus. And go on looking until you're not just a spectator, but you're actually part of the drama, which was, has him as the central character. Christmas isn't just a cute story from an obscure town in the distant past. But this is good news that God has come to us and is inviting us into a relationship with him today and forevermore. Let's pray. Gracious Father, how we thank you and praise you for the extraordinary gift of your son. How we thank you that Jesus came right into our world, fully human and fully God. Lord, we thank you that this Christmas, but every day, that we can rejoice that you have done everything necessary that we might be reconciled to you, that we might enjoy a relationship and friendship with you forever. Lord, would you please help us not to take that offer for granted, but instead that this Christmas and that our whole lives might be saturated and characterised by rejoicing in you as we put our trust in your Son. In Jesus' name, Amen. This has been a podcast from St Bart's. To learn more or to take the next step, visit stbarts.com.au.